volunteered to secure my spot. And that was probably the moment where I was like, this is what I want to be doing. Like, this is who I am because it was just so incredibly inspiring and wishing everyone good luck. And I was like, wow, this is actually happening. Like, I've been counting down for this day for 365 days and it's finally here. So, and then I started coming back into town and you start seeing all the people again and you can hear everyone at the finish line. And that's when it sunk in, like, I am like going to do this. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Yogi Triathlete podcast. Today, BJ and I bring you a woman we've been connected with for some time through social media. And as of our landing in Lake Placid, have had the pleasure of getting to know in person and now call a friend. But Brittany is not only that, she is, as of Sunday, July 24th, an Ironman. She is Adirondack born and raised and recalls some of her first memories of triathletes biking the massive terrain around here in preparation for Ironman Lake Placid. This girl annihilates any bad rap of the millennial generation with her solid work ethic, commitment, and clear discipline. As she trained for Ironman, she also completed her graduate degree in May of this year. Brittany not only completed Ironman Lake Placid, she raced it, a level of performance that only few will ever know. Finishing fourth in her age group, this girl has the triathlon gene, and we can't wait to see her future in multi-sport. But before we jump in, I just want to give you a reminder that we only have a few days left to get you entered into our Zeal Optics July giveaway. All you have to do is leave us, the Yogi Triathlete Podcast, a review on iTunes, and then send it to us via any of our social media outlets, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or email us direct at yogitriathlete at gmail.com. Doing just this simple thing will get you 25% off of any non-prescription pair of Zeal sunglasses, and you get in the running to win a free pair of Coda Performance Shades. These are the glasses I race in, and I have really sensitive eyes, especially in the face of wind. These glasses protect my face so well that the issues I've had with every other pair of glasses I've raced in are no longer, as long as I have my Codas on. So listen in today to Brittany's inspiring story and race recap, and then get to iTunes to enter to win. There's no losing here, you guys, only high vibes to feed off of. We hope you enjoy the show. I was a little disappointed because I missed the Roku gift card by two seconds, but yeah. That's the first out of the water? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so swimming competitive since third grade, swam all four years in college, and then I played softball through high school. Were you ever a cyclist or a runner? I uh, wasn't much into biking. Um, running just for cross-training with swimming and softball, but that was about it. I got into running more in college because we did a lot of running for swim. Did you, did you ever get a, to a point where you were, like, burnt out on it, or have you always loved swimming? Uh, yeah, actually, my senior year, I almost quit halfway through season. <laughs> 20 hours a week, doing all my practices on my own, pretty much. I swam four times with the team out of 10 practices a week. Where did you go to college? Nazareth in Rochester. When did you start to get the Ironman bug? Well, growing up, like, in high school, my coaches would always be, like, any true athlete can do an Ironman, and if you put the time into train, like, you'll do really well. And I was like, uh eh. 
maybe it's something I'll consider. And never seriously considered it until two years into college. I realized that I only had two years left of swimming with a team and doing competitive stuff. And I was like, what am I going to do when I'm done? Even though it was still two years out. And I was like, maybe I'll get into triathlons. Let's see how it is. So at that point, I set the goal to do Tin Man, the end of my senior year of college. And that's a half Ironman. That's yep. around here, isn't it's it? It's in Tupper Lake. Yep. Okay. I signed up for Tin Man for last year, would have been 2015. And I had so much fun doing Tin Man that I crossed the finish line and told my dad I was doing Ironman this year. So, What did your training look like? Um, what was a typical week for you? I originally was going to do the six-month training plan. And I kind of did, but the first probably three and a half months was really hard because I was in grad school. I had my bike in my apartment on a stationary like trainer. So I would, if I had 30 minutes free time, hop on my bike and do a quick 30 minute sprint interval because I knew that was better than doing nothing at all. An okay amount of running and still to the point where swimming isn't totally something I prefer to do. So I didn't really swim that much, but once I graduated, every single weekend was dedicated to training and my friends would be like oh do you want to do this on the weekend I was like sorry I have a six-hour bike ride I can't I would just try to really use my Saturdays and Sundays wisely and then during the week I would do smaller like runs and maybe a swim maybe a hour two-hour bike ride so you basically had a couple months to to ramp up yeah so as soon as I graduated I had approximately two months to really just pick up my training and focus on what the summer was all about. But I think that really speaks to like how you coach BJ is just consistency mm-hmm. and getting it done. No matter what it looks like, just keeping mm-hmm. those disciplines going, right? Yep. So getting in, um, I think that was really key was to, uh, if you only had 30 minutes, hammer it out for 30 minutes versus I'm just not going to do anything, yeah. which is what I think a lot of people that I come across would either either do their workout or they don't do it if they're not going to be able to finish the, the full thing. So mm-hmm. getting in what you can consistently, I feel, builds you as an Ironman athlete. It just builds that endurance. Your body just comes accustomed to day in and day out of doing something. Mm-hmm. And then load it on the weekends. I think that's what most yeah. what most um, most people do. But I can see that as, as part of your success for sure. And I think it's a really good example for people who, um, you know, say, well, I don't have time to do an Ironman. I could never, you know, find the time to do that. But you're never going to find the time. Yeah. You got to look for those windows. And in those windows, you got to be, like you said, be really, really smart about how you spend your time. So you had a couple months and you ramped up. What was your longest flat out run? Probably only 15 miles, I think is what I hit. But I had done a marathon previously. So I knew what the marathon felt like. And I knew that I would be able to push through that. I was more focused on the bike because that was my weakest. I would definitely say I got a lot stronger on the bike, though. So Nice. And then what was your longest bike? Two weeks before the race, I rode 118 miles with my other friend that was racing in the pouring rain. And then right after that, we just pretty much cut everything. The weekend before, I did one loop, and then it was pretty much just resting until race day. And then the swim, you were pretty confident. Yeah, so I actually only swam 12 miles from January 1st until Ironman. (laughs) Um, So I was pretty confident on that. I would swim when I was up here, but that was about it. What did you do as far as like your eating plan, like in those days leading up to the race? So I did carbo load starting four days before I think it was. Uh, Lots of pasta because that's one of my favorite things. I'm a really picky eater too. So, Um, But also I'm really big. I drink Shakeology every morning. So 
getting my nutrients from that. And then um, I have this recipe from my friend for buckwheat flour pancakes Mm -hmm. that are the best. So those are really high, good nutrition. Um, So I was doing the eating those probably every morning for the week before the race. So let's get into race day. Like what time did you get up? What did you eat? Um, I set my alarm for 3.30 and then I woke up at 3 and I saw that it was 3 and started like worrying that I might sleep through my alarm. So I kind of didn't really sleep from 3 to 3.30 that much. And then were you, did you get a good night's rest the night before? Or were you having trouble getting to bed? Couldn't really fall asleep. Yeah, I, most people don't. The night before a race, you don't get too yeah. much sleep, especially your first Ironman. Yeah. And what did you have for breakfast that morning? Uh, the morning before, I had made the buckwheat flour pancakes. So I had a couple, two of those before that I had leftovers. And then my normal shake I had before. And then right before the swim start, I had a uh, cliff bar. Tell us about race morning. Tell us about like walking down and had you experienced the Ironman up close and personal as um, as a spectator or a volunteer prior to? Yeah, so I've been coming up for Ironman for a couple of years. Um, last year, I volunteered at the finish line because I knew I wanted to sign up this year. So I volunteered to secure my spot. And that was probably the moment where I was like, this is what I want to be doing. Like, this is who I am, because it was just so incredibly inspiring and kind of life-changing for me. I worked probably 6 p.m. to the midnight shift, so I stayed till the end. And the last hour was my favorite part. It was just awesome watching the last people cross the finish line. It's like nothing you've ever seen. You Mm -hmm. have to experience it. Yeah, that's what I tell people. Like People are like, why are you so like addicted to this? I'm like, until you are there and you feel the energy and all the like motivation and encouragement going on, like, I just like you can't put words, you can't put it into words. It's- no, it's unbelievable. The entire day is 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 so beautiful, and and I I sit back and I just I just watch. I watch it all. I watch the athletes supporting each other. Mm-hmm. I watch the fans supporting the athletes, and then the connections between the spectators. And it's just it's so beautiful. It's like everyone comes together mm-hmm. for this one purpose, which is to get all those people across the finish line. And we always go to the midnight finishers. Always. It's something that we get back to the hotel room and it's like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And then I always think people are still out there. Yeah. They're out there. And they, they've been up since 3 o'clock because we've all been up since 3 yeah. o'clock in the morning. And they're still out there. And I'm going to get some food in my body. And I'm going to get back out there and support them. And we always grab a spot right by the finish on the stands. And this year, we were so close that... You could just see the expressions on their face. I mean, I got chills. Like, I'm even getting emotional thinking about it because the level of gratitude is so, not only is it so acute, no other time would you be so happy and grateful being so absolutely disgusting and Mm -hmm. exhausted and covered in Gatorade and sweat and pee and everything and feel so amazing like all of that stuff that that stuff that weighs us down in life how do we look you know um are we good enough all of that falls away when they come up to that finish line because they realize that they've done something that so many people would look at and just say "I, i could never do that yeah but there's something about people who do you um that you see that there is something that is possible there yeah, I was actually lucky enough this year. They 
had me medal the very last person to cross the finish line. Tell everyone how close that finish was to midnight. Yeah, it was like seconds they were counting down. It was unbelievable. I mean, I can hear the screams in my head. I was screaming so loud, you'd think I was like being chased by a murderer. <laughs> I mean, everyone, that woman was coming around. She had seconds yeah. to get over that finish line, and she did it. So, um, all right, let's get back to your experience. So you walk down to right into town and like what's that energy like in the morning i don't even know how to describe it like everyone was smiling everyone was happy like everyone was saying hi and wishing everyone good luck and i was like wow this is actually happening like i've been counting down for this day for 365 days and it's finally here so but i went down put my water on my bike put all my nutrition on my bike filled up my tires and then i was kind of stood there and stared at it a minute because i wasn't sure if i was ready to leave or not and then Went and just double checked my transition bags. I had put the solo cups on top of them in case it rained, which it did. <laughs> so good. Oh, that's a good idea. I like that. Yeah, just poke a hole in the top of the cup, feed it the stre- the threads through, yeah. and it just keeps the water out. There so. you go. There's a good tip for everyone. Okay, and then what happened? So I just hung out. My dad hung up all the signs that had been made. Um, I actually worked for a summer camp during the summertime teaching swimming lessons, and my campers made me this big poster, so we hung that up as well. It got to be about like six o'clock. I don't know, whenever the pros went off. Six ten. Six ten. Then I started to put my wetsuit on. And I've always been the person that even in swimming, I don't like to go up to the blocks really early. I like to wait till the last minute just because standing up there makes me really anxious and nervous. So I actually didn't go over to the swim corral until ten minutes before we started. So you were in the first wave. So what's that? That's sub one hour. Fifty mm-hmm. to one hour, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. An hour and less. All right. Tell us about your swim. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, when they started us, we actually our group got broken up into two because they had a couple pros that were coming out of their second loop, and I knew I didn't want to get stuck in the front. I wanted to be with the very first group of people. So they stopped everyone. And if you watch the video, you actually see a little pink swim cap like sprint ahead. <laughs> that was me. So I ran ahead to the first group in the water and got in and then I realized as I was like running in that I forgot to start my watch. So I kind of just floated for a second to start my watch and then started swimming and it was a madhouse. I have never experienced anything like that in my life. I was getting like kicked and punched and I was like, oh, I just need to get out of all these people. And I was trying to swim past people and people were like getting on top of me when I was trying to pass them. So the first loop was a nightmare. Did you ever feel like panicked I'm really comfortable in the water, so, so it was you're so not something lucky. I, yeah, not something I worried about at all. I love how you described it. It was a madhouse. <laughs> it can be a madhouse. Yeah, the second loop. Um, so I came in on my first loop, and the second loop, I was able to get right on the cable pretty much the whole race until the end, and then I started catching up to the people that were still on their first loop, and so I started having to veer off to pass them and stuff. So that got a little difficult, but I also knew I was so close to the end that I just put my head down and went. And then coming out of the water was like, everyone is standing there screaming. I just, I don't know, like it was And there, awesome. And it's all for you. Yeah. It's all for you. Like, can you believe that you're on the other side of those, those corrals? Like yeah. you're in it. So you get your wetsuit stripped off, which yeah, is so Yeah, so fun. I ran out of the water <laughs> and I went to stop my watch and I looked down and I realized that when I had gotten hit, my watch actually stopped, so. My watch read 43 minutes and was paused. And I was like, well, that's unfortunate. So I just kind of forgot about it for a minute because I knew I had to get my wetsuit off and get to transition. 
So I ran up and got my wetsuit stripped. And so then I used my time like running because I knew I didn't want to sprint down to transition. I wanted to take it easy so I didn't slip and fall. So I used that time to get my watch back going, even though it was going to be a little off. But I knew if I had it, at least for the bike and the run, um, I could figure out what my swim time was. When I got to transition, I grabbed my stuff. I do wish uh, I had some seen some people that put ribbons on their bags. I never thought of that. I wish I would have done that. It was so difficult to find my bag among 2,000 other blue bags, even though I knew which row it was. It would have been so much easier to spot if I saw something. So I got my bag. I ran into the changing tent. And there wasn't many people in there, so that was good because um, there was a lot of volunteers available. And then I actually um, had one of my teammates that I raced with. I raced for Team Blue Line. She recognized me in the tent and came over and was like, hey, and like helped me as well. So I had two people helping me, which awesome. was super cool. I don't know. I don't really remember transition that much. It was just kind of like flew by. So I'm just looking at your um, I'm looking at your swim split right now. So you swam uh, one hour, 57 seconds and you came out of the water second in your age group. Mm -hmm. so. You were 22nd overall for females out of the water. And um, it looks like 93 um, overall male and female out of how many people did the race? 3000, something yeah. like that. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty clear. In the You're legit time. in the water, girl. You're legit. All right, so tell us about the bike. I had done a couple training days where it was really hot, so I was pretty confident in my ability to keep hydrated and keep my nutrition on point. Um, I knew to do that, though, I had to have a plan. So immediately I, I knew I wasn't going to need any water at the first aid station. I can carry about 50 ounces on my bike. So I had two bottles underneath, and then I had my aero bottle. So I decided... I was going to do every other aid station. I was going to grab a banana because I knew I needed something a little solid in my stomach, even though I was doing gels all day. And then so I did bananas on the odd aid stations, water on the evens. When I first started the bike, there wasn't very many people out there, which was like, I don't know, like kind of surprising. But I would be like riding past these guys or some guys would like ride up behind me and they'd be like, wow, you're so fast on the <laughs> swim. So that was kind of cool. And people would comment on how young I was because they could see my age on my calf and they'd be like that's incredible that you're only 23 like keep it up you're doing great um so being from around here I trained on the course every weekend so I was really familiar with it like I could close my eyes and tell you everything about the bike course and I knew the eight mile climb out of town is kind of terrible for some people but I knew like once you get through that the descent is my favorite part of the whole course I just knew once I got to the top that I was going to get to go down and I was so looking forward to that. So I made it down into Keene and then I knew I had my family was going to be at the turnaround in Osable. So I just kind of took it one leg at a time. When I did get to the aid station in Jay though, I realized that I didn't put my chamois butter in my bike special needs bag and I probably should have. And I was really thinking about how bad I wanted it. So I did recognize one of my friends at the aid station so I stopped real quick and had her call my dad to try and put it in he was able to get it in so oh that's such a yeah because you're coming in hot to special needs and yeah something like that is yeah yummy. so when I pulled up to my special needs <laughs> bag and that volunteer pulled my chamois butter out of my bag if I wasn't holding my bike I probably would have just given her like a huge hug because I was so thankful that they let him put that in my bag but this is what I'm talking about when I say that the level of gratitude gets so acute yeah so I <laughs> got to the turnaround in Osable and I knew like the 
I know the first part of the course is the easy part. And so knowing that, I wanted to make sure I kept my cadence really high on the first part, which I did. That's so key um, to save I had your my, legs. Yeah, I had my cadence sensor on my bike. I don't know. It wasn't working. I'm not sure if it was because it rained the night before and it got wet. Um, but it was stuck at 118 and I knew I was not pedaling that fast. So, so this is the thing that um, BJ and I talk about a lot is, you know, the data, like, and being able to be, to really be able to feel what your body feels like when it's a high cadence, mm -hmm. when you're pushing too hard so that you can rely on it because you're a great example. Like you can't always rely on the data on race yeah. day. Yeah. My watch wasn't working at first. My yeah. cadence wasn't working. Sometimes so. I think the universe just starts to put in interference on. Yeah, yeah we, come, we become too data reliant. Yeah. yeah. You need to sort of feel it. So w when I coach a lot of my athletes, it's I have them use the heart rate or have the watch, but I also like will take that away from them. Yeah, them go out and train and say like, I just want you to go on feel. Yeah, like, feel what it, just feel that eight minute pace or feel that nine minute pace or feel what it to go up the hill, um, out of placid. So I think that's really key on your nutrition. So did you? So basically, you use gels, bananas, and water, or do you um, have some sort of performance drink? I do honey sting the honey stinger gels with caffeine in them, which are super helpful. Um, bananas from the aid stations. I do water. I can't drink Gatorade. It makes me so sick. So I do the noon tablets, which are super convenient because I can just put a whole thing in my bike. And then every time I grab water, I just drop one in and it dissolves in 30 seconds, I think. has electrolytes in it. Getting me some salt, I guess. So yeah, we, we love noon. We yeah. do. Yeah. The Gatorade, Gatorade is, is it's easy because it's on course, right? And, and it's, it works like it's for most people, it works. But for those seeking an alternative yeah healthy sort of like a cleaner solution yeah we we like noon ourselves so, yeah um, so noon bananas water honey stinger gels what, were, what was your pattern of taking things in every 10 minutes 15 minutes um so for the gels i during training had always done one every half hour so i just kept to that plan because i knew it worked so every half hour i would do a gel follow it with water um drinking i don't really ever have a specific plan for how often i'm going to drink I just, I don't know. I don't have a problem keeping hydrated. So I, that's not something I really thought about in terms of that. And then the bananas, I was grabbing one at every other aid station. So definitely practice what you're going to do on race day. So you turn around and I'll say beforeks and you're heading back into the hard part. And so for you, you're so familiar with the course, but did you have any kind of mental challenge, even knowing like you're going into that harder part? I think the hardest five miles of the course is when you hit the bed and breakfast when you first start into the notch right before whiteface. I think the next five miles, that's the hardest part of the whole course. There's always a headwind in the notch, so I knew that I was expecting that, and it was a little stronger than I had anticipated on race day. And it looks relatively flat, but it's not. It's a lot of climbing up through whiteface to the High Falls Gorge, and then there's a couple more decent hills after that. We were just having this conversation about this very part last night with um, our friends that raced, that that is such a difficult part yeah. right there. I think if I was to say what the most mentally challenging part of the bike was for me, that is definitely it every time. Even when I'm training, I just I dread that part of the course every time. But I know once I get through those five miles, the rest of the notch is pretty much flat and I can usually average at least 20 miles per hour through there. So. And the bears are not as scary as no, they're portrayed. They're not as scary as they're portrayed. And one thing I realized on race day that you don't get on training, once you hit the bears, you can hear everything from town. 
And that was probably like I almost started crying on the first loop because I was like, oh, my gosh, this is actually happening right now. And when you get to Papa Bear, it's like Tour de France. I mean, people are all over the place. Yeah. From the bottom of the hill all the way back into town and then out for the first two miles of the bike loop was aligned with people on both sides of the road and everyone was screaming. Yeah. So tell us about like how that affected you. Um, So I've always been someone that feeds off of the energy of other people. And so as soon as I started hearing them screaming, I just started smiling. And the more you smile, the more they scream. So it's kind of like a give and take kind of thing. That's probably a really good. That's right up there with the solo cups on the transition bags. Like people who are going to be racing for the first time or racing for the hundredth time. Like the more you smile, the louder they're going to scream. Yeah. And it's definitely true. Like it was so amazing. Like none of these people know you, but they're all cheering for you. And they're screaming out your bib number because they don't see your name yet because you don't have it on your bike. But they're all like coaching you up the hill and like telling you you're doing great. So it was awesome. And once I got to that point, I was like, wow, am I really done my first loop already? Like I've already done 56 miles. It definitely didn't seem like it took that long. Seems like you were like so topped off and ready to go for the day. Like yeah. you, you tapered perfectly and everything was starting to align. So how was the second loop? Did you start feeling any fatigue or how was that? Um, Climbing out of town on the second loop was fine. Like those climbs don't really bother me, even though some people complain about them. I've never, they're long, but I've never really yeah. had a And complaining call. about yeah. like the pitch of mother nature is kind of a fruitless journey. Yeah. Right. And I always like, I think I like those climbs because I know at the end, like there is a descent and that's my favorite part. So the first half of the second loop went really well. Once I hit the turnaround in El Sable, though, I started to feel like I'm getting like up there in miles and it was starting to get more painful. And then once I got back to Wilmington, obviously you have to sit up to climb up the hill. And after that, it was just like my body was like, I do not want to be an arrow anymore. It was so difficult. And it was getting get hot down. at this it was, point. Yeah, it was getting really warm. Um, so you say that the descent is your is your favorite. So what kind of speeds are you hitting on that? My fastest speed pre-race was 47.3, and oh, I hit my God. somewhere in the 48s. So, For anyone who's doing this race next year, like getting up here and At training, oh, my God, it's such a big deal. Yeah, yeah. it's so helpful to, um, to experience that descent because a lot of people are really, really scared of it. Mm-hmm. But to understand, like, when you, you're coming down the descent and the water's right there. Yeah, the lakes are on the right, yeah. Yeah, that can be a super windy area yeah, right and there. Yeah, if you hit it at the wrong time, there can be <clears throat> quite a few crosswinds in there. So just going down it at least once before race day and knowing what you're in for is nice. It is, if you're not looking to go too fast, like it is nice because it, the first half of it is rolling hills. So you can coast down and then coast back up the hill to kind of slow yourself down a little bit. But. yeah. But that's not you. No, that's not how you pedal the whole way. That's not how you roll, girl. (laughs) All right. So um, coming back up from that second loop. So looking at your bike split, Papa Bear still lined with people, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, everyone was still there. How is your body feeling at this point? Um, So the climbing through the notch the the second time was painful. I pretty much rode up on my handlebars the whole way. I didn't get arrow very much just because it wasn't comfortable anymore and I wanted to still set myself up for a good run so I knew it wasn't worth the pain and suffering on my run if I was gonna be arrow so I did kind of sacrifice a little bit of time but I knew it was for the better in the end and then because you got to look at the big picture Mm -hmm. you do I mean you got to stay in the moment but you got to look 
you got to look at the big picture as far as like you still have a marathon to run. Yeah. And did that ever come into your mind like, how am I going to run a marathon? Or were you pretty confident? Um, I didn't really think about it until there was probably three miles left of the notch and I was riding with this guy and he's like, wow, this course is really hard. And he'd never rode the course before. And I was like, yeah, like we're almost done. Like we have a couple more hills left, but we're getting there. Like it's not that bad. We're almost done. Like we have five miles left. Just We just have to get through it. And he's like, and then we still have to run a marathon. And I was like, let's not think about that point right now. <laughs> let's just get through the end of the bike and then we'll think about the marathon. Yeah, exactly. But. Good. So you got back into town, um, ready to get off your bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was so ready. And then um, when you come, the best one of the best things about Ironman is like all the little niceties that you get, like you give your bike away. Yeah, so you like literally roll in, you hop off, and then there's just like, here, let me take that for you. And I was like, yeah. okay, thanks. So. Um, and how did you feel coming out of T2? I felt pretty good, like, coming out. I was kind of like, oh, I have to run 26.2 miles now. This is going to be fun. But also, there was so much energy again. My sunglasses got sprayed with sunscreen when I was in transition. So I kind of walked out trying to clean my sunglasses off on my jersey, which wasn't helping because it was just soaking wet and already disgusting. I think I made it worse. So I'm like kind of jogging down the hill looking for anyone that I knew. And I was about to ask a stranger to clean my glasses off for me. And then I saw my dad, please clean my sunglasses off for me. So I handed off my sunglasses and just hung out there for a minute when they cleaned them. And then I was like, okay, here we go. This is where, where it all begins. So I have one leg left. Yeah. So tell us about, um, tell us about your experience on the run. I'm looking at your, um, your bike's lit right now so you came in at um six hours 26 minutes and 29 seconds not bad yeah so my goal was to go under 6 30 so oh yeah you did it and you were third in your age group at this point okay tell us about the run so i knew going into the run that i had been training with the 9-1 method so run for nine minutes walk for a minute and so i knew that was something i wanted to carry through on race day because i did a marathon in the fall and i didn't do that And it ended up hurting me in the end because I had to walk more at the end. So I used that in training. And then I realized once I started the run, there was an aid station every mile. And I knew I wanted to hold between nine and 10 minute um, pace for my uh, each mile. So I said, okay, I'm going to walk every aid station and run between every point. So I just kept like took it one mile at a time. And that's perfect. Yeah, there's your nine one right there. Yeah, And it was absolutely perfect. Like, I didn't even really look at my watch the whole time because I just knew like it's just about getting each step closer. It's just getting aid station to aid yeah. station. That's all you have to do. Yeah. Yep. Coming out of town, like again, there's everyone there. And at this point you have your bib on, it has your name on it. So all these strangers are now screaming your name and you're like, wow, this is really cool. Like, It's so cool. It's yeah. so cool. And we actually saw you on the run. I was looking for you all day, yeah, but we actually I saw you on the run coming down the big hill and you were like right in front of us and then you passed you were somebody was running with you like a friend or family member was kind of i think walking with you yeah i had a couple of friends um that a friend that i had met out in rochester um that races as well and that was up and then some friends from high school and so both loops uh, i got people running with me for a little bit which was really cool the hill is nice to have some people escort you around yeah for sure so you had your 9-1 plan yep. and that was working well for you. You're getting your nutrition in. Yeah. So uh, I'm a huge fan of the orange wedges when I'm running. 
the natural sugars on something that my body like craves and being a, on a diet that is mostly fruits and vegetables anyways. I had brought a couple of my honey, honey stinger gels with me and in case I needed them, but I only used one of them. So at every aid station, I made sure it was really hot by this point. So I would fill my hat with ice, pour some down my sports bra, and then I would get some water and two orange wedges at every aid station and just if there was sponges, I would take a couple of those. Oh yeah, shove them in my jersey. Those are just, those are gold. Yeah, keep going. The first loop went really well. My friend that I had been training with all along, it took him until mile, hundred or ninety five, I think, of the bike to catch up to me because he was a little slower swimmer than me. So I knew we were really close. He was only five minutes ahead of me on the run. So d- running down River Road, I was like, I wasn't sure at what point, but I knew I was gonna see him at one point. And I got almost to the turnaround in River Road when I saw him. I think he was probably like three quarters of a mile ahead of me. And so on the first loops, I was like, okay, like there's Jake. Like I can do this. We have half of the first loop done. Running back into town was great. And And again, just such a charge of energy from the time. If you can get to Lisa G's. Yeah. Like that will carry you to the turnaround and back on Merrill Lake Drive. Yeah. So in addition to the 9-1 method, I knew... I wanted to walk the hill up by the horse grounds and the hill up into town at Lisa G's until the turn just to keep my heart rate down because I didn't want my heart rate to get too high. And then, That's a good idea. Yeah. I love your nutrition and your strategy because it's so different from what I've ever done and it's so different from what VJ's ever done. And this is great to share another perspective <laughs> yeah. that seems to work really well. And then I started the second loop and that's when I met up with one of my friends from high school and she actually ran for probably a half a mile with me. Just having someone to run with like that you can talk to for a few minutes was nice too. Oh yeah, just human contact. Yeah. Yeah, because it's lon- It's very lonely on River Road. Yeah. And hot and not always that windy. You're like, where is that wind? Yeah, like, just really. You, our friend Sean said, once you pass the red barn, like you come out of like, there's a little bit of shade, then you pass the red barn. And he said, all I could hear was like crickets and birds singing and I was like no it's so quiet and hot here (laughs) yeah river road is probably the toughest part and it's a huge stretch I think people underestimate that that is three and a half miles yeah I mean that's seven miles of your half marathon it's more than your half marathon and there's no one there there. no there's no one there no one it's like you can't really get to it yeah they would have to walk the seven miles as well yeah exactly (laughs) it's just hot pavement Yeah, so it's just like, at that point, I was like, there's all these people out here, so I'm not alone, but I just have to take it one aid station at a time. And on my second loop, I started having hamstring issues. So about two-tenths of a mile before every aid station, my hamstring would get so tight. And I just had to, like, force myself to get to the aid station. And then once I walked the aid station, it would be fine for the rest of the... Were you taking any kind of salt or electrolytes or anything like that? Not on the run. I tried base salt. I've never used it before. I tried it on the bike once and then I almost threw up because I don't like salt anyways and I have a really low sodium diet. It wasn't really cramping. It was just like really tight. Yeah. Okay. I know what you're... Yeah. I'm very familiar with how that feels. I just tried to focus again one mile at a time and then by the time I got to the turnaround, I was like, okay. Like I'm almost there. So. And when really it's like kind of like that's when it all begins, yes, right? Yeah, they always right, say yes. the last 10K. Yeah. And so actually probably like a half a mile from the turnaround, I had caught up to my friend Jake. We ran for a little bit together. And then all of a sudden he he still hasn't admitted it yet. But I think he was a little worried that I might beat him. 
because he picked up his pace again. And for a split second, I considered hanging with him or at least trying to. And then I was like, no, you just got to race your own race. It's not worth compromising, like just to hang with him. Yeah, another just big can... piece of wisdom right yeah. there. Yeah, that's a nugget. I'd say that that's huge because your ego wants you to go. Yeah, like I wanted to stay with him but so that's bad. Not but the strategy and it's yeah. not going to set you up for your yeah. successful race. Yeah, so I just took out the last, like running past people. Like I would, there would people be running with me and they'll be like, oh, like good job, good job. And I'll be like, you too. And they'll be like, oh, are you on your first loop too? And I was like, no, I'm actually going to the finish line, but... <laughs> yeah, it gets really dicey because yeah. you don't know who's on there for it. Like, there'd be times where I'd say, like, all right, let's take it home. And they're like, yeah, once I finish my first loop, yeah. like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. So you got to be really careful. But the encur- what, what do you have to say about the encouragement out there between athletes? Everything, everyone just wants, like, everyone to finish. Like, I don't know. It's, it's so beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone's amazing. standing behind everyone is... Yeah, you're right. It's just everybody wants you to finish. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the one place, it's honestly the only place that I've seen in my life, in my 44 years on this earth, where we come together. Mm-hmm. Like outside of a tragedy where people come together, Yeah, I, have, I haven't seen it anywhere else. I mean, even, even in yoga, I haven't seen it as much as I have seen it at um at an Ironman, you know, and, I, and I'm sure it exists at, you know, ultra running and things like that. But this place where we ask so much of ourselves physically and mentally that we have to go beyond. And like when we go beyond, that's when we dial into who we truly are, which is just like we are supportive of everyone. It's it's not mm-hmm. about I'm better than you or I'm, I'm less than you. It's like, let's all do this yeah. and get to the finish. And what can I do for you to get you there? You know, and it, it's just it can be as simple as, you know, awesome job. And so it, was it just your hamstring? Did you have anything else going on? Any feet issues? Because it was hot. Um, that pavement was hot. My feet were like fine the whole time. There's always this. So two years ago, I had a running injury. I spent six weeks in a walking boot. Because Ugh. I had severe tendonitis, and there's always the thought in the back of my mind, like, what if my foot starts hurting again? What if that starts coming back? That I'm like kind of paranoid about because it sidelined me from running for a year. But knock on wood, I've haven't had an issue since, so I was pretty good. The one thing weird that did happen to me, which I never thought would be possible, about six between five and six miles from the finish line, I started doing one of those things where you start like dozing off. <laughs> when you're like reading a book, but I was doing it when I was running. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> I need caffeine. So I popped two gels in and I was instantly better. But I started running again. I was like, did that really just happen? Yeah, you're just so tired. Yeah. Your body's so fatigued. Did you ever take Coke at any point? No, because I'm not a soda drinker. Yep. So in those moments, and it sounded like, did you have those moments out on the run where you were like, what if my foot starts acting up? Yeah, that's always something that I think about. So when that came up during this race, what did you do to not entertain that? Just try to focus on everyone else that's running around me. And also, I don't know, like people have listened to your podcast before you guys talked about the death march. That was something that I kept keeping in the back of my mind. I just kept telling myself, don't join the death march. Like, I love just it. keep going. <laughs> yeah, don't join the death march. It's so easy to do. And there's so yeah. many people doing it. So yeah. yeah, the temptation is there. I just kept like, just keep going. And then I was like, as long as you can make it to the aid station. And that was my reward. Like every aid station I could walk and then it kept me going. So that's awesome. All right. Tell us about that final piece. 
So when you guys mentioned in the podcast, like hearing Mike Riley coming back into town, I was like, wow, that's so cool. Because I didn't realize just how far you could hear it. And then I started coming back into town and you start seeing all the people again and you can hear everyone at the finish line. And that's when it sunk in like, I am like going to do this. Like, And then I looked at my watch and I realized that I was like crushing my goal time. So I just got so excited and yeah, so you finished your run in uh, four and a half hours, just that's over just, like in eight seconds. Actually, and a nine minute marathon PR for me. That's also, so. fastest marathon <laughs> yeah. ever. Love it. I've I've done my fastest marathon on this course too. Yeah, so it's just amazing. It's like how is that even possible? And this is definitely a harder course than my marathon was. So. And you finished fourth in your age group overall, which is yeah. absolutely magnificent. I mean, so many people would kill. Yeah. For that, let's talk about the finish. So from the turnaround at Mirror Lake Drive, you're coming back in. So I actually race for a team called Team Blue Line. We raise money for fallen law enforcement officers. So we all finish with a thin blue line flag. So I told my dad once he was at the finish line to walk along the bottom of the oval down the sidewalk and meet me down there. And he didn't listen. So he was on the wrong side of the road. He was supposed to give me my flag when I had the two miles left on Mirror Lake Mm -hmm. Drive. I'm like coming up the hill and I'm like looking all over for him and I can't find him at all. So then I was like, well, I need to keep going. Like I can't stop. So I just kept going. And then I turned on to Mirror Lake Drive and I saw him on the other side of the road. He's like, just keep going. Just keep going. I'll give it to you on your way back through. But in the back of my mind, I knew that he wasn't going to see me finish. But he told me to keep going. So I just kept going. I ran down Mirror Lake Drive and then I saw my friend Jake like not very far ahead of me. So I knew I was right behind him. And when I hit the turnaround... Everything was like, like this is the end. And running back was so awesome. And it's all downhill. And people remember you. Like you're mm-hmm. running down there and they remember you from the first loop. And they're like, you got it. You're almost there. Like, so that was incredible. So then I got back to the like intersection in town and I got the flag from my dad and just kind of like entered the oval. And then I was like, wow, like this is what it's all about. So Yeah. So that last, that, yeah, that last yeah. like, what 30 seconds is what it's all about yeah so what is that what is it all about just hearing mike riley like i had i don't know like dreamed about that day for so long and then once he finally like you come around and you see them up there and you see the finish line and everyone there waiting and i knew my friend was there waiting to catch me with my medal so i was like this is it and and how did your body feel at that point or were you not even aware of it i don't even think i was aware like everything could have been hurting and broken and I probably wouldn't even have felt it <laughs> so amazing yeah so tell it so then you cross the tell us about crossing the finish line like I like I don't even know how to explain it like I feel like there's no words that can compare to it like it's better than Christmas that's what I keep telling people like <laughs> it's so amazing it's one of the best days of your life would yeah. you agree yes it's definitely it's definitely the best day of my life so far <laughs> That's amazing. You did amazing. Your final time was 12.11, I think. Uh, like 12, yeah, 12.11, 12.10, something like that. 12, 10, oh, 12.10. 10. Let's give you fair due. Yeah, 12.10, 40. Unbelievable. So you have a really cool quote on your Instagram profile. Set the bar high and don't stop until you get there. Yeah, that's kind of been my motto all through swimming um, because people always tell me I set really hard goals but my philosophy is if you don't set a goal that's going to make you work hard what's the point in setting a goal at all so that's kind of something that's always been my personal motto like 
I'm going to set the bar high and keep going until I reach that goal. And what would you say to somebody who, you know, is listening to this or was spectating on Sunday? And I mean, you can't walk away from this race without feeling inspired, but maybe they don't think they can do it or in any kind of context of somebody wanting something or feeling passionate about something, but not thinking that they can do it. What would you say to them? Just take it one step at a time, like start at the bottom and just keep working until like maybe you can run a mile right now. So run a mile and then eventually you'll get to two and then you just keep going until you get to where you want to be. And once you get there, it's the most amazing feeling ever. Can you believe this girl absolutely killing it at her first Ironman? She's got a big future and we can't wait to follow along. Thank you so much for tuning in and please keep sharing the podcast with your friends and family. You guys, it's growing every week and it's because of you. So thank you so much. Keep sending us your feedback and questions for upcoming shows, specifically in regards to plant-based nutrition. We'll be recording an episode within the next week or so addressing questions we already have on thriving on a plant-based diet. So please throw yours into the mix so we can remove any doubt about this vibrant, compassionate, and high vibe way of eating. Namaste. And don't forget, ride the high vibe.